glory to God if it's a success. <laughs> if it's a flop, we'll blame him. That's right. <laughs> Did you get the... Uh, yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. All right. Oh, thank you, babe. Appreciate that. So pretty. Careful. All right. Take your Bibles. Go to Acts chapter 7 as a jumping off point, although I feel like we've already jumped in. <laughs> and that's all right with me. <clears throat> that is all right with me. I'm trying to break in a new Bible. I told you all that story about my crazy dog. It's still alive. That's all I can tell you. Just barely, though. So we'll see uh, if flipping pages will uh, prove to be difficult in a new Bible. But uh, <clears throat> here in Acts chapter number 7, it's funny that pastors start talking about Moses. So that's who I'd like to talk about here for the next few minutes during the Sunday school hour. But take it up in verse number 35. Acts chapter 7, verse number 35. The Bible says, This Moses whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses which said to the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you for your brethren like unto uh, me, him shall ye hear. And then here's what I want to see here, what, what the Bible refers to in Acts. What it, what it refers to the Israelites that came out of Egypt, what it calls them. I want you to pay attention to this. It says in verse number 38, This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this morning. I pray, Father, that you help me in the next few minutes to just get across these uh, few thoughts that you've given me uh, in reference to the church. And I pray that it would be a help and a benefit, Lord. Uh, we ask you to just uh, give us uh, the clear direction, Lord, and I pray you'd be with the service to follow. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. It says here that there was a church in the wilderness. Now, from a technical standpoint, we are in Sunday school, so I don't, I'm not a, afraid to be a little technical with you this morning. But uh, simply, the church is, the, the word that, that comes from is ecclesia, which is just basically what they call a called out assembly. Right, And if you see what he said, he says that he calls them out of the nation uh, uh, of Egypt. They were under hard bondage. The Bible calls it the iron furnace. And the types of salvation are all the way through that with them uh, get leaving, the, leaving the world um, and going through the Red Sea to go over to the promised land. And you can see the type of salvation. It's very, very simple to see that. Right, But as far as the church is concerned. The Bible refers to this called out assembly, the nation of Israel. It refers to them as a church. And there's some things about the church. Go to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter number 3. We have to understand what the church is. I feel like the, the theme that, that pastor's trying to convey here in this meeting is as Anchor Baptist Church, what do we do in 2023 as a church to continue on or go to where God wants us to go? Does that make sense? Well, if that's the case, then isn't it think that it would be important for us to... Fundamentally, what is the church? 
Yes, it's a called out assembly. And, and yes, it, there is a, there's the church uh, spiritual, which is made up of, of uh, believing uh, Christians, those that are placed in the body of Jesus Christ. You're, you're bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. There's a spiritual church. And then there's a local church. There's a church local. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a local church, an assembly of believers that God uses in a community. First uh, Timothy chapter number 3, look in verse number 15. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Look at this. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. You know what the church is? It is that strong foundational thing that the Lord can place the truth upon and that it will perpetuate the truth and lift up the truth for generations to come. It is our responsibility as a church to, number one, exalt the Lord Jesus Christ who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And if we fail as a church, who ultimately suffers? It's not you that suffer, although you will suffer. More importantly, it's the truth that suffers. It's the blot to the eye uh, of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's, it's what went wrong. What happened? Why does it cease to be? It seems like what pastor's saying, the, the, the pressure that's on churches right now, there's, there's no shortage of sad stories of where churches once were and to what they are now. There's no lack of sad stories. There's no lack of stories of, man, it was really good, and then this happened. I know of churches right now. I've had calls in the past two weeks from pastors and friends of mine, and it's just like, it's like the weight and the pressure of the universe is on them. Because there is an entity you have to understand. What's he trying to do? He's trying to destroy the church. He's trying to destroy the church. See, when you, when you stew the church down, while I'm speaking here, go ahead and go to Exodus chapter number 15. Exodus 15. He references the church in the wilderness and it's funny because I feel like I'm a, I'm a pretty simple guy. And a lot of times if I'm, if I'm trying to figure out, you know, how do, I, how, where, how do I progress forward? How do I continue doing the right things? You know what? You, you listen to uh, professional athletes. You know what they say? They say every year in training camp, the first half of training camp is just going back to the fundamentals of things. Right? And so that because the fundamentals are to be learned and to be mastered, and therefore you can build upon that as foundational, uh, uh, as foundational like mechanics, right? And so when I think about the church and I think about, okay, uh, if we want to get some insight of what we should do as a church to, per, to propel ourselves into the future, and whatever God has for us is fine, but with the unknown of the future, how do we as a church set ourselves up for whatever it is that God has for us? I'm not, saying, I'm not saying this is going to set us up so that we can have 300 people. I'm not saying that this is so that we can set up so that we can build a building. I'm not. Listen, when you stew the church down to people, you have lost the fundamentals of the church. Now, trust me, I appreciate every person in this church. But the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And without the truth, this is just a social club. 
Join the Moose Lodge. Join the stinking Masons. Join whatever you want. You just want to be a part of a group of people? Then go find you a club somewhere. This is not a social club. This is not a social club. This is not, listen, we're not playing high school games here where it's like, oh, well, I don't know if that person likes me and this person here and I, they just said something about me over here. It's this little dibby dabble, just stupid stuff. When you boil the church down to that, all you have is people. And when you make the church about the people, you separate it from the fundamental use of the church, which is to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. It's something so much more than us. Pastor says it all the time. It's not about you. It's something bigger than you. And the nation of Israel had to find that out the hard way. <laughs> they come out. You don't want to know. I just I like to be basic. And you don't want to know if, if we're to learn some things from the from the uh, this church in the wilderness. You know the first thing that we need to know if we're going to take something that's real fundamental, real practical, real real easy to digest here. You know what? They left the world. <laughs> they left Egypt. Egypt, like I said before, was the iron furnace. It was a ruling entity in their life. It dictated what they do, how they did it. If they wanted to make their job harder, they said, take that away. You're not making brick out of that anymore. Get you some straw, some slime or whatever, and just do the same thing. Right? They had the control and the power over them. I'm not talking about your salvation. I don't feel like I have to qualify that, but I will just in case. I am not talking about your salvation here. But can I say this? The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, he tells us of an individual and the, and the way that Paul describes him, he says they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. To be addicted... Right? And you know what he's, you know what he talks? It's, it's, it's a church that's in this guy's house. It's a local church, and it says these individuals, they've addicted themselves to the ministry, to the, to the ministry of the saints in their local church. You say, what does that have to do with the world? Let me ask you something. Is the world still a controlling force in your life? Is it still a dictator over you and it, and it dictates what you do, how you do it, when you do it, how much you do it? Because guess what? When they came out of the nation uh, of Egypt, when they came out of the land of Egypt underneath the rule of Pharaoh, they had to leave that stuff behind. That's not to say they didn't have more battles to fight. But the world had no, they may, they may still have reminisced, right, in which they do. But it was no longer a ruling force in their life. Here's a principle for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. This is a principle that we have to understand as Christians. Because I could sit up here and preach every hobby horse that I have, and I've got hobby horses. Sure, they're fun to ride. Right? Most people's preaching is just hobby horses. They just get up here and kick whatever dog they want to kick, and then, you know, you feel, they make you feel bad about yourself, and that's how you think the Holy Spirit's talking to you. Listen, anybody can make you feel bad about yourself. It's not hard to do, okay? Especially when it's a captive audience, okay? I can figure out whatever it is in your life that you love and kick it and make you feel bad for it. He just talked about TV. <laughs> listen, listen to me. 
There's a biblical principle that helps us navigate those things so we don't become so legalistic that we can't get our head you know, out of our own way. I won't say anything else. All right? He says, all things are not expedience. All things are lawful for me. This is the liberty you have in Jesus Christ. But look at what he says. I will not be brought under the power of any. That's the key. That's the key. How, is, does, how does Egypt have uh, the rule over me? Am I, am I still living in the open shackles of Egypt, although I'm liberated? So let me ask you this. Can you stop what it is you're doing? I thought about this the other day. You want Christians, we want to move forward as a church. You know what? The more influence the world has into the church, the harder it's going to be to keep the ship aright. You understand that? And it's not so much the pressure that's coming in the church as collective, but it's in the church individually. And the more that we allow in individually, the more it affects the church collectively. Does that make sense? And so let me ask you something. Now, again, this isn't a hoppy horse. This is just a question. I don't think there's anything wrong with YouTube in and of itself. Listen, I know I could sit up here and preach against Facebook and all this other stuff. You're not going to delete it. I know that. I'm not going to waste my breath and tell you to delete it. Because you know what? You ain't going to delete it. Some of you don't have the ability to delete it. You want to know why? Because it has the power over you. Some of you, some of you can't stop scrolling. You want to know why? Because it has the power over you. The principle that we have here, whether or not the things of the world are, are attached to us in such a way, are we addicted to the ministry or are we addicted to all the things the world tells us to be addicted to? Are we, are we brought under the power of those things? Can you stop it? Listen, young people, can you, can you go a day without your phone? Can you? Listen, read some church history. <laughs> and then, you know, I do this sometimes and I just feel horrible about myself. <laughs> you, think about, you think about the Christians that made up the church, you know, uh, 100 years ago and then forward on and everything else. And you read about what these men did and you read some of the accounts of what God, these were pillars in the church that God could just put weight on and they just held it and they just did it. And you would think, oh, I spent five hours scrolling through YouTube shorts or TikTok or something? You say, who's that? Christians. That's how you meet friends now, right? You say, You're, I'm starting off on a really good note. Listen, listen. You want to know what they had to do in the early church? They had to get out of, they had to get out of Egypt. They had to get out of Egypt. And so much so, he said, wherever you go from here on out, when you go and if these people are not your people, destroy everything there. Their, their pictures, destroy it all. I don't want it to influence the church, this called out assembly. I want to keep it without spot from the world so I can present it to chase virgin to Christ someday. That's the, that's the whole premise. Now, you have to live in this world. You understand that? You have to live in this world. But my question to you this morning is, is, does it have the power over you? Are you addicted to your job? Listen, if you've talked to me personally, you know this. I think Bible believers have, have overcorrected on the uh, career front. I think we have shot ourselves in the foot because we have downplayed career so much 
And we think that every young person needs to be a preacher or a preacher's wife or something like that. We've downplayed careers so much that we got guys working dead in jobs and they don't have no vision for the future. They think they'd be wicked to, to try to go after a job where they make some more money. No, 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 no. You have to make it in this world. And making money is different than loving money. You understand? This thing is, this thing is not, it's not so cut and dry. There's some nuance to this. And only you can answer those questions. Does it have the rule over you? They had to get out of the world. You know what? Then they come to a place. Look in uh, chapter 15, verse number 23. They come to a place, and it says, And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And look at this. He, uh, in verse... Uh, Verse 25, and he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and when he had cast the trees in the waters, it made the waters sweet, and he made them for a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And what was the purpose of him proving them? He says, if thou wilt diligently hearken unto the voice of the Lord God, and do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear unto his commandments, and to keep all his statutes. You want to know, the, the first thing you're going to have to figure out and, and the thing you have to going to identify if you're going to keep going is you need to identify the, the, the amount of weight and the amount of pull, the amount of power the world has over you. And the next thing, you know what they had to run into? They had to confront their bitterness. They had to confront their bitterness. How do you confront your bitterness? You want to know how you confront your bitterness? For one, you have to taste it. <laughs> you got you to dip down and say... That is gross. That tastes horrible. You know what, folks? We hide so much bitterness. And what we don't know is that thing is a root that decays and destroys. It, it, is, it is the cancer that no one can see. It's that thing that you can hide behind a suit and a smile that nobody can see. But it's destroying you, and it's destroying your family. It's destroying your experience here in the church. And you sit there, and you're like, why am I not getting anything? Why am I not getting anything? It's because you're bitter. The first thing, they leave the world, and they say, we're done. We're done with Pharaoh, right? Cut the ties. And you know what? They, he says, all right, let's uh, take you to a little body of water here. I want you to take a drink. What is this? Pretty gross, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty gross. You want us to die out here? Is that why you brought us out here? And they start griping and complaining and murmuring against Moses, right? You know what you find out? And all three of these places will hit real quick. You know what you find out? Is that there's internal problems that are manifesting themselves in external conflict. They start to, there's three places in here where they start to murmur against Moses. And what you find out in those three places where they're murmuring and chiding against Moses, that it's not actually the thing they're chiding with Moses about. It's God's trying to get a little bit deeper and he's trying to expose an internal problem that they have. And that internal problem is just manifesting itself in an external conflict. And you know who takes it on the chin? Moses. Because of your insecurities and because of your bitterness and because you haven't done the things in your life that you're supposed to do, now you sit there and you call the preacher and say, how come you're not this? Hey, sorry, 
It ain't his problem. It's your problem. And the reason you're mad ain't because of him. It's because there's some kind of bitterness in your heart. And the Lord's saying, hey, how about, that tastes pretty gross, doesn't it? Do you want to get that thing fixed up? You want to get that thing fixed up? Well, somebody got, somebody got a uh, position and I didn't get a position. Somebody's got a Sunday school class. I don't have a Sunday school class. Somebody, listen, somebody, uh, you know, they, 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 uh, they got this and I didn't get this. And so, he shook so-and-so's hand, didn't shake my hand. And then, Why are you so bitter? What are you bitter about? You know what I find funny is the solution for their bitterness. You know what he tells them? He says, go find a tree. He says, get you a tree. Jesus Christ was hung on a tree. You want to know the cure to bitterness is? (laughs) Realizing that Jesus Christ hung on a tree and was completely innocent and he was wrongly accused and he was falsely accused and he had a monkey trial and they hung him up there on a tree and killed him for no reason. So what do you have to be bitter about? (laughs) Somebody mistreated you. Welcome to the club. Somebody forgot about you. Welcome to the club. Right? He points them to the tree and says, hey, why don't we just, if you could just tap into that tree, he'd make them water sweet. Well, you can't pick your family, man. Okay, you had a rough upbringing. Good deal. Good deal. Who cares, man? We all got the stinking stories. We all got them. You know what you need to do? Sit back and say, man, Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He never did nothing wrong. And they hung him on a tree and killed him. I think I'm doing pretty, I think I'm doing pretty good. Amen. Amen. We all got a past. We all got a testimony. You know what? I think we're doing pretty good, folks. Amen. That's the cure to the bitterness. And he says, the first thing coming out, listen, church, we want to keep going forward. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to come face to face with your bitterness because that is going to stunt your growth. That will be what overtakes everything in your life. Amen. And it's not hurting anybody else. It's hurting you. He says... You got to deal with the waters, the the, uh, the bitter waters of Mara, right? And he says the reason is he wanted to see whether or not uh, they were going to walk in his law or not. Look here in uh, uh, chapter number sixteen. They come and they're starting to chide with Moses in verse. Uh, oh, let's see, verse three and verse four. The Lord said unto Moses, "Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you." And shall, uh, shall go out and gather the certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. You know what happens? Verse 31 of chapter number 16. And the house of Israel called the name of, uh, thereof manna. The first place they went to was Mara. And then they were chiding about not having anything to eat, not having anything to eat, not having anything to eat. And he says, you know what, I'm going to fix your wagon. And he says, all right, I'm going to start giving you manna. And you know what, he, you know what the manna is? Manna, it just means what is it? <laughs> what is it? You know what they're, they're saying at the beginning of this thing? And the whole congregation of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said, would to God we had died in the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have bought for us, uh, brought, uh, us forth into the wilderness to kill us this whole assembly with hunger. They start reminiscing about Egypt and they start thinking that maybe Egypt is what had their, their, uh, was able to uh, you know, supply their need. 
And God says, I'm going to fix you up. I'm going to give you some manna that you get every day. And you can collect it according to the portion or whatever it is. Some collect a little, some collect a lot. But I mean, you can collect double on the sixth day. And on the seventh day, we're going to have a Sabbath. You're going to rest and it won't rot. But if you try to get more on the, on the fourth day and get it into the fifth day, it won't carry over because it'll breed worms and stink and all this different stuff. And he does a miraculous thing. And you know what he's trying to do? Again, this external conflict that arises. We're hungry. We're hungry. He's trying to address a deeper inner problem. You know what that inner problem is? Commitment. Commitment. Constantly, when something doesn't start to go your way, looking back to the world to solve your problems. This happens in church all the time. We refuse. We refuse to do what the Bible tells us to do in conflict resolution or whatever it may be. And so you know what we do when we don't like the stance of the church? We go to the world to get, to get our advice. Right. And we go to the world to tell us what to do. Church, you will never grow past that point if that's how you handle the church. There is a chain of command. There's an authority structure. And guess what? If you cannot commit to, this, to, to the place where God has you as this is your church then guess what? You're not gonna, you, you, you'll find whatever you're looking for out there. You'll find it. And it's going to drag you away from here. We've seen it time and time and time and time again. Right? It's why, it's why, it's why we preach the Bible and not philosophy. It's why we preach the Bible and not, and not some, and not some you know, psychiatric thing. We're not shrinks. Right? A lot of pastors, they're trying to be more than what they should be. The church is now a place for self-help. It was never meant to be that. Jim Lynch said a quote from <coughs> Harold Seitler one time. He says, you watch, there will come a day where the church will stop listening to old-fashioned preaching. And they will turn it into an evangelistical approach on teaching. That's what he said. You unpack that, you know what you get? You get the series on the family. And you get the series on how to cope with stress. And you get the series on how to, you know, be the best you. And you get the series on this and the series on that. You know what it is? It ain't old time preaching. You know what you need to realize? You need to, I'm not, and I'm not saying if you have some kind of mental health issue or some kind of thing like that. We're not doctors. I'm not against medication, all that different stuff. If you've got an essential oil for it, I don't know if you snort cocaine, whatever it is. I'm not, you know, if it can be prescribed by a doctor, who knows, right? But listen. You underestimate the power. Amen. You underestimate, listen to me, church. You underestimate the power of sitting and just getting fed by old fashioned manna. Amen. He says, Are you committed to just get the manna every day? If you're not committed to getting the manna every day, don't complain about where you're at in your life. Amen. He told you what would help. And if you're not doing the basics of what he told you would help, then don't seek help. Don't sit there and say, if I was just by the flesh pots of Egypt. You know, if you were by the flesh pots of Egypt, you'd be miserable there too. Because they ain't got no answers. But you know what I found out? In just a few years I've been doing this, Christians drastically underestimate the power of old time preaching. 
You think that your problems will be solved in a personal one-on-one meeting back in the office more than you sitting in a pew when you're supposed to be in a pew or you sitting at your table when nobody else is around at your house getting the manna every single day. You underestimate the power of that. Church, you want to continue to go forward in this thing, whatever the Lord has for us, you know what you better realize? You better just stick to the manna. All that ancillary stuff, that's just fluff. That's just white noise. This is where the, this is where the stuff, the Lord will put on His heart what you need on that Sunday. He won't, here we go, you ready? Oh, Lord, help us. I'm, I want, we want to help our church. He won't put it on the pastor's heart of another church that you listen to online. He'll give you what you need out of your pastor from this pulpit at the time you're supposed to be in church. I'm not saying don't listen to that. I'm not saying that. But I do think some of you are overfed. And you're rolling around bloated and you got gas. Help us. They go to, they go and they see manna. You know, what is it? You know, I think it's funny. What is it? The question that it poses to you, what is it that you're looking for out there that you can't find here? What, what, is it, what is it that manna can't do that you think manna can't do that the world can do? What's your commitment? You know, if you're not committed to the Lord's, to the Lord's church where God has you to be and to be fed the way God wants you to be fed, you're just always going to be looking for a different church or you're going to be looking for some different voice on the multitude of pod. Everybody's got a stinking podcast that makes them a professional or whatever they're shooting their mouth off about. You'll find somebody. You'll find somebody. But if you commit to this, you know what? You won't always like it. But guess what? It'll be the best thing for you. It'll help you if you submit to it. If you commit to it, it'll help you. Church, we need to deal with our bitterness. We need to make sure that we're committed. And then look at the last place he deals with them. And that's in chapter number 17. In chapter number 17, The congregation and children of Israel journey from the wilderness of sin in verse 1. And then it says in verse number 2, Wherefore the people did chide with Moses, saying, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And of course, you know what happens. The Lord, he goes, to the, he goes to the Lord and he says, These folks are ready to stone me. And he says, All right, go ahead and get up to the rock. And I want you to take that same rod that you split the Red Sea with and I want you to, I want you to strike that rock one time. And that water's going to flow out and they're going to get a drink. Right? You know what that place is called? They call the place Massah and Meribah. You know what it is? It's a place where they tempted God. It's a place they tempted God. Lord, we've seen that you changed the bitter waters to sweet. We've seen you miraculously give us manna from heaven. We've seen that. But now... Lord, we're in a desert place, (laughs) and there ain't nothing here. There is no bitter water to even turn into water. It's the sweet water. What are we going to do? And you know what happens? He strikes a rock, and the water comes out. And you know what? They're, They're chiding on this surface level, this external conflict. You know what the Lord's trying to teach them something? Where's your faith? Why are you tempting me? You know, the, the question is posed in, in the book of Psalms. It says, can the Lord furnish a table in the wilderness? Can he? Well, the answer is yes, he can. 
Absolutely he can. And you don't want to know what we're going to have to have. We're going to continue to go forward. You're going to have to have faith. that God ain't done. God is not done. One thing wore me out more than anything during this whole stupid COVID junk was the rhetoric coming out of pulpits. I'm being honest with you. It was the tone that was coming out of pulpits. As if it was this like fatalistic attitude like, God's done, we're done, this changed, it's not, never going back. Okay, I get that. We all knew the world was going to get worse. So go ahead and discourage every young person in your congregation to just throw in the towel. Why? Why would you do that? Hey, church, guess what? He'll be done when we hear a trumpet and we're home. He's not done yet. There's still a reason to go to work and to tell your co-workers about Jesus Christ. There's still a reason to come. There's still a benefit. God's still going to do some things as long as he tarries. And you have to have the faith that God can take that rock and start spewing water out of it. When you don't see anything. Because if you look at the surroundings and you look at the area that you're in, you'll look and say, there is nothing here to even turn sweet. It's just sand. And it's dry. You know what, you better, you know, you know what Christian? You need to have the faith that when you see a rock, you say, nah, that's a water fountain. <laughs> that, that's a water fountain, man. That's a water fountain. You th- oh, you think, you think the Lord can't just like put a couple palm trees in here and uh, give us a little oasis, which he does? In a few verses. You know what church? We need to have the faith that God can. And that God will. And I'm not talking name it and claim it garbage. I'm saying if God was done. You'd not be gone. But you know what you do? You fight through the bell man. You push through until you hit the finish line. You don't stop and say. You know what? The world was just real bad. And you know. they They were making us take a vaccine. And, you know, there was all kinds of, I mean, they were talking about transgenders. You want to know something, Christians? Just get it in your head now. Right? You're going to have, yeah, we have a lot of young families in this church. You're going to be bringing kids up in this church church and in this world. I am too. And guess what? You're going to have to have the faith that God can take care of your kids. And that you're not working in vain. You know what you're going to have to realize? You're going to have to work a little bit harder too. You know, at the end of this passage in chapter number 17, he gives us a great example of what he's trying to get across to us. You know, right after this, the, bitter, uh, the, 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 the waters here where he, 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 he sends them out of the rock. You know what I find peculiar about all three of these problems? Is the Lord's solution reveals the heart of the people it does not reveal the problem. Let me, let me unpack that for you. The Lord tests them and proves them after He solves the problem they're complaining about. Look at it, the, and I won't have time to go through all of them and read, the, read, it, read it, but go, go through it. Read them. You know what you find out? The Lord, saw, the Lord puts the tree in the water, and then He says, I'm going to prove them to see if they will do this. 
And then they come up, to, they, they, they tried about not having any food, and he gives them manna. And he says, I did this to prove them to see if they would uh, take heed to my law or not. Right? And then what happens in verse number seven, he called the name of the place Massah Meribah because the chiding of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, The Lord is, uh, is the Lord among us or not. He did that after he gave them water out of the rock. And so, you know what, you know what happens? All these external conflicts that we have, you know what would happen? The Lord, the Lord will do. He'll fix your problem. He'll take your excuse away. He'll take your excuse away. And you know what that will do? That will then reveal your heart. That will then reveal why you're here. You know what we've seen over the last several years? We've seen some come and we've seen some go. You know, what is, you know, what, you know what's happened? Every issue that they've had, and I'm not sitting here talking about people that left the church, whatever. I guess kind of I am, but whatever. It reveals your heart. If you're just making, you're, gonna, you're either going to serve them or you're not. You're either going to serve them or you're not. But you know what happens when the church detaches himself from the world and when the church confronts their bitterness and when the church commits themselves to what God has for them and when they have a little bit of faith, you know what they're able to do? What happens in the last, last part of this chapter? Moses says, hey, let's go get in a fight. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think? There ain't no reason. It wasn't even like they were coming after him, man. He just says, hey, you guys want to get in a fight? <laughs> you want to go mix it up a little bit? And you know what happens? He says, choose you out some men to go down here in this valley and fight with these folks. And Moses sits up there on the mountain, and Aaron gets here, and Hur gets here, and the battle ensues. And when the arms come down, they lose. And when the arms go up, they, they win. But you want to know? What the beautiful picture is here is that the church is made up of individuals doing exactly what we just talked about, confronting their bitterness, detaching themselves from the world, committing themselves, having the faith. That's an individual thing that you have to do personally, right? And when you do that, the Lord is then able to place you wherever he wants you, and you're able to fight collectively Amen. together because of decisions that you made individually. That's the beauty of the church. And you know what he calls it? He says, let's call this place Jehovah Nisi. Why? Because the Lord's our banner. You know what happens when the church does that? You know what happens? You're able to put the Lord Jesus Christ up and say, this is who we're following. He's our banner. If you were wondering what Anchor Baptist Church was about, we're about the Lord Jesus Christ and living and trying to live the best we can in this world and do the best we can. And yeah, I may not be the guy underneath Aaron's arm or underneath Moses' arm, and I may not be uh, you know, one of the guys out there in the valley fighting in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Maybe you're just somebody back by the stuff and tending to the kids, but everybody had a part in that battle, and they were able to win the battle because everybody had done what they were supposed to do. They were in the places they were supposed to be. And they had done these critical things that you see at the very beginning of this called out assembly, the church in the wilderness. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for letting us be here this morning. I pray, Lord, that this would be a good jumping off point. Lord, I feel like I try to do what you wanted me to do the best I can. And I pray, Father, you bless our church now and pray you bless the service to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't it amazing he starts the Bible out uh, creating the universe? You ever looked at the universe? You don't think God can do for you what he needs to do? He'll put in your heart what to do, but he can provide everything you need. Yeah.
just look at the stars at night. And he goes, I think I'll make a universe. <laughs> there it is. And you're worried about what? Yeah. I mean, I'm, well, I don't know if I'm going to get a rate. You're worried about what? You know, the thing to do is always go to him first and let him guide and direct your steps. And, and some, he says, use the world, but don't abuse it. All you got to do is say, Lord, what should I do? And let him open the door. He's the greatest door opener you've ever seen in your life, man. I mean, he'll do anything. Father, thank you for your blessings. Bless the break here for a few minutes and the fellowship and the song service and the, the service to come. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a break for a couple minutes.